Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Thank you very much for checking out the program on a nice cold Tuesday morning here in the wilds of Virginia from which I do the show. Yes, if you never really thought about where is Jason located, I'm in Virginia. Uh, no, no particular reason. That's just where I am. Because soccer is everywhere. Does it really matter where you are? Does it really matter if you're in an MLS town or, well, maybe it does. If you're in an MLS, t- in an MLS town, you're co- currently worried about a player strike. Currently worried about that CBA negotiations going on. Not too far from me in Washington, D.C. And we'll certainly get to that. Big show for you today. David Amoyel, our friend who covers Syria for Gianluca DiMarzio, will join us in just a couple of minutes. We'll check in. On that result yesterday, a 1-1 draw between Roma and Juventus. Roma down to 10 men, a little bit of fight back, but draw doesn't do much for them in the league. And then our friend from Philly.com, Jonathan Tannenwald, will join us at 10.30. We're going to talk about Fox's preparation for the Women's World Cup this summer, their first quote-unquote major test back in the serious soccer broadcasting game. They've got an MLS doubleheader coming up this weekend. We hope. Lots of focus on Fox and their soccer product. He has a, a, a wide ranging, well, it's not really wide ranging. It's all, it's, it's all about Fox and their, uh, their, uh, what they're going to do when they broadcast soccer as they've, they've been doing. But again, new focus on Fox with both the World Cup contracts and MLS. He talked to Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas. Two big hires for that network over the last couple of years. First Rob Stone, then Alexi Lawless. We may touch on the CBA negotiations with Tannenwald as well. So stay tuned for that. Always a good chat with John up in Philly. Let's do the headlines and get you started here on a Tuesday morning. Again, MLS CBA negotiations ongoing in Washington, D.C. Many, many players traveling to D.C. for these negotiations. You've seen the tweets out there, perhaps by Dax McCarty, Amobi Akugo, Nat Borchers is there. Bobby Boswell, currently based in D.C., doesn't have to travel very far, is skipping some training. Chris Rolfe is skipping training. These guys are there in the room as the owners talk about, well, as they and the owners talk about how to resolve the situation in front of them, a situation that could delay the start of the MLS season. If you saw the report from from Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, Soccer Insider, the language coming out of Bobby Boswell's mouth seems to indicate that maybe the players are backing down a bit. Maybe not. Depends on how you want to view the messaging. Perhaps he's just trying to paint a picture of the players being the, the side that wants to negotiate, that wants to compromise, while the owners remain steadfast in their belief that they can't back down on anything. Boswell's language was something like, we've made concessions. Now we see what they'll do. And again, the the owners aren't talking. So we just have the players to go on here. Meanwhile, I've heard this little wrinkle. Full details not out yet. But I'm just going to pass along the rumor on the street. And that is the players may have a backer when it comes to a strike. We talked about that strike fund, a young union, not having much in the bank to support the players over a protracted strike period. But they may have some outside help. Details coming. That is still a developing story. We may touch on that in the near future. Meanwhile, in American soccer circles, 
Carlos Bocanegra, ex-U.S. men's national team great, player in England and France and many other places, last of Chivas USA, has been named the technical director of the Atlanta MLS team that's supposed to enter this league in a couple of seasons. I'm not sure about this hire, not because I don't think Carlos Bocanegra is a very smart guy, not because I don't think he knows soccer, but because the man doesn't have any experience doing this job at this level. That doesn't mean he can't do it. It just means that I'm going to reserve judgment until I see exactly what happens in Atlanta ahead of 2017. He has connections. He knows the game. He's been a captain at nearly every club and national team he's played for. That indicates that the man has some ability to delegate, to direct, to lead. And that's important. But again, to to hire an ex-player fresh off his career into a technical uh, director position leaves open some question. Bad news out of England. This is terrible. This is disgusting. Ad, uh, Sunderland player Adam Johnson has been arrested on suspe- a suspicion of sexual activity with a girl under 16. Clearly illegal. He was arrested and released on bail, suspended by the club pending the outcome of the investigation. A statement from Sunderland said, Sunderland AFC has confirmed that Adam Johnson has been suspended from the club pending the outcome of a police investigation. No further comment will be made at the present time. Durham Constabulary. How do you say that word? Constabulary? English people. Said a 27-year-old man arrest- was arrested on suspicion of sexual activity with a girl under 16. Has been re- released on bail pending the ongoing investigation. Not good. Not cool. No. I'm going to move on quickly from that story. It just makes me upset. Uh, also in American soccer circles, Tim Holt, president of USL, has resigned his position. You remember, we talked to him on this show just a couple of weeks ago. No indication then that Tim Holt was going anywhere. Lots of excitement for a new season, lots of excitement for the MLS partnership. At least that's what he seemed to convey when he talked to me. What this means for USL, not sure yet. The man that replaces him is Jake Edwards, an English-American ex-player. Exeter City, a couple other places. Yeovil Town, I believe he played for as well. 38 years old. Went to high school in Jersey. So you have a soccer man in charge. I, I guess that's uh, that's some uh, consolation to anybody watching closely what's happening with the USL right now. There's got to be some other reason. I'm not going to speculate here wildly, but there's got to be some other reason Tim Holt has decided that now is the time to leave that organization pursue other opportunities it's what they all say they're all out there going to pursue other opportunities it's either i need to spend more time with my family or i need to pursue other opportunities tim holt's been with the usl for a long time this does this comes out of the blue for us it probably didn't for him something else is uh is lurking there in the background i hope it's not a negative i hope this isn't over the MLS partnership, for example. I hope it's not a matter of a tug of war between MLS and USL when it comes to the direction of that league. Clearly, the the makeup and structure of USL has changed dramatically. They just launched their new branding. Tim Holt held on long enough to see that branding launched and then left. Mm, Interesting things happening in American soccer right now. Let's take a break. When we come back, David Amoyal will join us. He's from John Luca DiMaggio. Go follow him on Twitter. 
We'll talk Serie A, Juventus and Roma yesterday, some player movement, Parma, sad, sad story of Parma. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning. Joined now on the telephone by our friend David Amoyel from Gianluca DiMarzio. Talking Syria. David, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Thanks for, thanks for coming back um, in light of yesterday's match. Clearly a, a top-of-mind thing for Syria fans. Roma, Juventus, if Roma was going to make a dent in that Juve lead at the top of the table, David, they needed to get probably a win at home against Juve yesterday. Mm -hmm. They go down a man. They have to uh, come back after Carlos Tevez's free kick goal and they get a point, but, but it, that's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be little consolation to Roma fans at this point. Yeah, I would say so. I think even before the match, you know, they were downplaying the title implication. Their sporting director said, you know, we don't want to, you know, sell anything that we can't deliver. So we're really focused more on the Champions League spot. And that's a fascinating race. Uh, Napoli's loss against Torino on Sunday, that really kind of threw the race up in the air. So Roma right now second. They have 49 points. Napoli's right behind them at 45. But Lazio and Fiorentina have made some good inroad, and they have 43 and 42 points, respectively. So I think Roma at least has to feel good about getting one point. Had they lost, it would have been even more dangerous, because right now they have an automatic spot in the Champions League. If they finish third, they have to go through the preliminary round. But with the way Fiorentina and Lazio are playing, they should even be worried about even just qualifying for the Champions League. So... I think it could have been worse for them, seeing how the match was going. Uh, their substitutions worked, so I think they have to at least feel good about being able to get a draw. Yeah, I mean, it's nine points now, the distance between Juve and Roma, and the the words coming out of Allegri's mouth in the aftermath of that game was clearly, we should have won, especially going up a man the way that they did. Um, meanwhile, Garcia, do, do you feel like he's spitting this positively, or or was this... You know, again, you go down a man in, in any match, whether it's justified, not justified. Maybe you feel if you get a point out of it, that's that's a moral victory. But we know yeah. moral victories don't win titles. Well, I think, you know, in a vacuum, that match yesterday, I think Roma has to feel pretty good about how it went, seeing that they were down a goal, they were down a man. But they haven't won a home game since November, which is really pretty insane if you think about it, because they have one of the biggest home field advantages in Italy, their stadium, their fans, you know, definitely have an impact on the match. So I think Garcia, you know, he can take a positive over what happened yesterday, but, you know, it would have really turned the season around had they been able to win against Juve. I don't personally think it would have reopened the title race. I think Juve, regardless, looks good for that. Mm. But Roma could have built some momentum. They qualified in the Europa League against Feyenoord. 
Uh, so winning against Juve would have at least given them a lot of momentum to secure that second place in Serie A, which brings them to the Champions League right away. So I can see why he's trying to spin a positive, but to me, it's a missed opportunity to really change the momentum of the season going into the stretch. Well, it looked like a stalemate for at least 45 minutes, not the best uh, version of football yeah. being played out there. And then the second half, you obviously have Carlos Tevez stepping up, as I said, and taking that free kick, which would normally yeah. fall to Andrea Pirlo, uh, who's out injured. Yeah. And not scoring from the run of play the way that they did, again, half an hour up a man the way that, that Juve was, no, al- yeah. I mean, again, they're going to win the league, David. We know that. But no alarm bells for you there. I mean, it, it was just a tough match in a tough location against a scrappy Roma team. Well, they did have a lot. They did have quite a few injuries. You know, Pierlo's been out, uh, Pogba, too. I think Pogba had the, the, the title race been a little bit closer. He probably would have played. I think Juve didn't want to risk him getting hurt with, you know, the return leg against Dortmund coming up and, you know, with the rest of the season. So I think Juve had a little bit of injuries. They haven't been particularly brilliant recently. Um, so I think right now their focus is really on the Champions League. They have to be very happy that the Scudetto race is in such good shape for them because now the focus can really be on Dortmund. And I think the fact that they could rest Pogba yesterday is proof of that. So I think Juve, I know they, you know, Allegri said we had the match in our hands after 70 minutes and we let go a little bit, but I still think they have to feel really good about uh, how things are going. I think, you know, their seasons, the success of the season will be largely depends if they can get past Dortmund at the beginning of the season, both Allegri, Buffon, and even the club presidents that we want to finish in top eight in Europe. So if they can do that on top of winning the fourth title in a row after Conte left, they would have to feel really good about this season. All right, you, you mentioned, you did already outline this, but I, but I want to come back, I want to circle back around to it. If this if the title is done, if the Scudetto is going to go to Juve for the fourth year in a row, um, where well, is the intrigue in Syria? Why why would we be watching Syria? Are you going to, you know, are people going to to, to leave in droves with the title already decided? Um, a little bit, but I do think the Champions League race is really going to be fascinating. I think especially because you see how well Fiorentina is playing their, their sale of, of Cuadrado where they got Salah back in the deal. It really makes them a fascinating team, you know. I wrote about how, you know, there's that theory from Bill Simmons, the UN theory, how if you lose your best player, but you haven't won with him, sometimes your team gets better. And that's really what's happened with Fiorentina with Cuadrado. Salah's been great. So they are right there. They're not that far off from Napoli. I think Lazio, too, who's the big cross-town rival for Roma, they're also not that far off. So uh, it's not it's unlikely, but Roma could almost finish out of the Champions League altogether. And even Napoli, who for a while was playing really well, their performance in, uh, against Torino on Sunday was really poor. So I think the Champions League race is pretty fascinating. Then I, I think, you know, there are some really interesting players, too, as well, for the transfer market in the summer. So I think there's still a lot of good reasons to follow Serie Yeah, I'll come back to one of those potential transfer targets in just a moment. Uh, in terms of Fiorentina, maybe their chances to jump into a Champions League uh, place, mm-hmm. the, the, the loan of Mohamed Salah from Chelsea this winter seems to be paying uh, immense dividends for them. Yeah, he's been great. Uh, there's really, he really couldn't have been better for them. He came in as a substitute against Fiorentina, again, for Fiorentina against Inter on Sunday and he torched them. Uh, he's played really well, uh, along with even Diamanti, who came back from China. He used to play for the Azzurri. 
So, you know, Fiorentina's without uh, Giuseppe Rossi and Mario Gomez really hasn't been particularly good. So imagine when those two players can perform, and there's some hope that maybe Rossi could come back for the last month or so of the season. So they're going to be a really fascinating team. I also think they're a very dangerous team in the Europa League as well. So that's really one team to watch. And also I think Lafayette is a very interesting team. They've won three in a row. They have a Brazilian player called Felipe Anderson, who's been really sensational. Uh, when healthy, you know, he arrived with a lot of hype uh, two years ago. He struggled his first season, but he's breaking out now. So that's another player, and I think Lafayette in general is a fun team to watch. Now let's come to, uh, well, okay, before we come to the transfer targets, um, you mentioned Napoli's poor performance on Sunday. Uh, it's, you know, Rafa Benitez has been, uh, I, I suppose, pr- fairly solid up and down. I mean, he, he is who he is. He's obviously a, a, a immensely respected figure, although he's... I don't know. How is he viewed right now at, at, at Napoli, David? And what's the immediate future for Rafa Benitez at the club if they don't, you know, if they don't maximize some of that potential that they have? I really think it's a fascinating situation what's going on with Benitez at Napoli. His contract is off at the end of the season. There's been a lot of talk that, you know, he won't extend. His family still lives in Liverpool, but his wife has come to visit him a few times recently in Italy, which is something that hadn't happened before. And up until Sunday, Napoli was playing really well. There was a lot of momentum for them to even catch Roma uh, to be the second the team that automatically goes to the Champions League with Juve. But that loss against Torino, that was really a poor match. I don't think Torino's goalkeeper made any saves at all. If you watch the match, Higuain was incredibly frustrated throughout the match. His body language was really poor. And then Benitez, you know, complained a lot about the referee after the match. And even yesterday, he brought all the team together to go over all the mistakes. So it's really been an up and down season for him. Even Napoli's president has said, look, we'd love to keep him, but look at Chelsea. They were fine once he left. Now, of course, they hired Mourinho. I'm not sure. Napoli can do anything quite that right. comparable, yeah. but I think it's a really up and down season, and I think it's a fascinating situation because I don't think uh, Benitez and Higuain are tied at the hip, but I think if Benitez leaves, uh, there's more of a chance that maybe Higuain wants to leave as well. So that's a situation that I'm following closely. Benitez said he'll make up his mind in April, but I'm sure by then a lot of other clubs would have already contacted him to see if he's interested in probably returning to the Premier League. Let's talk about uh, some of the transfer targets, as you mentioned, that uh, may make be making moves in the summer. One that comes to mind um, that I'm reading about today is Paulo Dybala from Palermo. Uh-huh. Um, just give us a, a brief sketch of, of his ability. I mean, I'm seeing quotes are, that are, you know, again, outsized and overhyped because that's what we do with players uh-huh. nowadays. Uh, but what are his chances? I mean, the, the quote at the head of this story, David, is I would swim to Barcelona to go play for <laughs> the Catalans. Is, is there, is that a chance? Is that a possibility? Uh, I, I definitely think he's the target of a lot of big clubs. And I think he's also said, you know, when he plays FIFA, he uses Barcelona and Manchester City. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much conclusions you want to draw from that, but you know, he's definitely on the market. His contract with Palermo expires in the summer of 2016. So if they want to cash in on him, they have to do it this summer because next January he could sign with any team for free. And Palermo is a smart club. They're definitely gonna, not going to make it come to that. Uh, they've invested a lot of money for their standards in him. He came from Argentina's second division. 
you know, I'm not going to say he's as good as Aguero, but that's kind of the type of game that he has. I think he's kind of reminiscent of that style. I think he's been very impressive um, this season. But, you know, he's also a very young player. You know, it'll be interesting to see if he wants to go play in another big league or maybe even go to another Italian team. Both Napoli and Juve are sniffing around him. Juve had a scout to watch him over the weekend. But I think he's going to be a very expensive player. I see him being realistic for either of those teams if they make a big sale, like Juve with Pogba or Napoli with yeah. Duane. But, you know, maybe Dybala looks what happens with, like, Lamela, who went to Spurs when he was very young and probably wasn't ready. He also might look at, like, the other. Ipurbe was the big name in Serie A last season, and he went to Roma. And, you know, because of injuries, he hasn't been particularly great, although yesterday he played well against Juve. So maybe he looks at some of the other young players that exploded in Serie A that left too soon. But uh, I definitely think he'll be a target for a lot of EPL clubs. Uh, Manchester United has looked at him. I know City and Arsenal as well uh, are very keen on him. So he's definitely a player to watch, and uh, he's really fun to watch. So I recommend anyone who's ever Palermo game on to tune in because he's really a lot of fun. Uh, what about Inter Milan's uh, Moro Icardi? Is he also uh, a target mm. of, of that many teams, a young player, not a fairly young player, 22 years old, yeah. quality goal scorer in Serie A? I think he's a superb striker. Now, Dybala is more of a team player. He'll set up his teammates. He'll partic- participate in the action. While Icardi is just a penalty box staff, and he's a great finisher. I'd say one of the very best. Instead, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up leading the league in goals when it's all said and done. Now, he's he already has a long-term contract with Inter, but he earns very low wages. He's about to get an extension with like a massive raise. But even then, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, if he were to move in the summer. Inter, you know, is already being audited by financial fair play by WEPA. If they don't qualify for Europe, I think they're going to have to make a sale. And the reason I'd say that is they have big options to buy on Shakiri and Brozovic. They're really excellent players for them. But they're going to owe about 25 million euros for them over the summer. But if they don't qualify for Europe, it wouldn't surprise me if they have to sell one out of Icardi or Kovacic. Icardi, to be honest, has had difficult rapport with Inter's fans. He makes a lot of quotes about wanting to leave. Uh, he also has a lot of clubs in the Premier League who like them, Chelsea, Manchester United, more than anyone else. And I could see him doing really well for either of those teams. So I think you'll see his extension being announced either today or tomorrow, but I think this is one of those extensions where I wouldn't automatically assume it means he's staying. I'm going to come back I'm going to come back to Parma here for anybody who's looking to have a little chat about that. Um but uh, before yeah. we do that, just in a in a general sense, are you uh, are you of the opinion is is the general state of Syria at this point um that clubs even the some of the bigger clubs and you mentioned Enter with financial fair play. Are they going to have to sell to buy? I mean, is this turning into a, a selling league? Uh, I, I would say so. But, you know, the silver lining for that is I think, you know, we've seen Teddy lose a lot of good players in recent years, but they always seem to find some new great gems. You know, we talked about Dybala, who, who they found in the Argentinian second division. You look at Torino, sold their two best players last summer. And then they discovered this wing back, Bruno Perez, who's a sensational player. Um, they always seem to find, you know, players. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the TV deal that we saw in the Premier League, 
and, you know, the usual big clubs in Spain and PSG, like, they're always going to be able to get a lot of the best players in Serie A, in my opinion. Juve is pretty much the only one that's been able to hold on to their stars. But, you know, I, I also think Italy deserves a lot of credit for having great scouts and really good agents. Like, a lot of the top agents in the world, you know, are Italian, and they always have their hands in the middle with all the good players around. So... I think, you know, even if a lot of good players leave, I'm still optimistic about Serie A because they see how many good players they discover every year. But, you know, if you said it's a selling league overall, I don't think you'd be wrong by saying that. All right, let's come to the worst situation in Serie A right now, and that's at, at Parma. Um, a second league fixture um, canceled because of a, a lack of ability to pay the players. There was a, a, sh- a show of solidarity ahead of Inter-Roma, or Roma-Inter, in which uh, the players delayed kickoff um is yeah. what's the what's the next step here what's likely to happen with parma especially if they can't fulfill their dates yeah i'm very pessimistic with them you know it's really a sad situation um you know parma there's been a lot of for lack of better words shady things going on with the club in the past few years in the past three years they've made over 700 transactions with players at one point they had 242 players on the contract between loans, co-ownerships, and things like that. Um, you know, you could almost say it's kind of like a pyramid scheme that they had going for a while, and now it's just crashing and burning. Um, you know, it's a very sad situation. Unfortunately, as we talked in the past, this is something that happens in Italy in the lower divisions quite a bit. Um, we, It hasn't been a club like Parma for a while, although it did happen to Napoli about 10 years ago. So I'm not uh, optimistic about that. I think, you know, Tottenham's players rightfully say nobody's helping us, and that's true. It's just I think there's there's a reason why nobody is helping up to helping them. Either the Italian Federation is really not doing too much. So my guess is, you know, either there's going to be uh, a small bankruptcy, and by that I mean someone's going to just end up uh, picking up the debt, the debt to pay the players for this season, and they'd have to go to the second division, which they'd probably go anywhere anyway since they're dead last. Or they could go completely bankrupt, and they'd have to start over from the fourth division. I hope that doesn't happen, but if I had to bet on the outcome, I'd say that's probably what's going to happen. But, you know, things can change, maybe. By the end of the week, something miraculous happens. But their current owner, Manenti, is really starting to sound like Baghdad Bob when he gives updates. He's always talking about the money here, we'll be fine. And then the next day, nothing happens. So it's just a very sad situation. Yeah, let, let me move on to something a, a bit more positive. Um, how close is Roma to actually getting construction underway on their proposed stadium? I saw a couple of quotes from James Pallotta, who says yeah. uh, that that may be coming this fall. Yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me. I know that's something they're working on um, a lot. You know, I think Roma makes a really good point that, you know, the stadium they have now, even when the, when you look at it on TV, it's not very attractive. They try to cover the track and field part to make it look a little bit better. Um, you know, but in Italy, things take time. You know, anytime you're dealing with, like, a city and bureaucracy, it can take time. But I think the fact that, uh, in Rome, people really love the team, and usually the politicians on the city level, fans of the club. I, I'm pretty optimistic about that. I mean, uh, I would say within a year or two, um, you know, hopefully they start, uh, you know, literally working on the site by the end of the year. Uh, but I, I, I would be pretty optimistic about that. Um, 
Alasa knows what he's doing, and I think he has all the right people in Italy to help him with the bureaucracy, which isn't the easiest thing. But I'm pretty optimistic about you that. You know, David, I think it's easy for people who are watching Syria from afar to sort of romanticize. I mean, look, the San Siro is is a cathedral of football, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we know, though, that in order to compete, we see this with Juve, these clubs are going to have to upgrade. It's a constant p- a point of contention yeah. in Liverpool, um, in, 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 for Spurs, for, for English clubs as well. Um, what is the difference? What, what would be the difference? How transformative would having a brand new state of the art building for Roma be in Syria? Is it something in line with Juve, who again is already the entrenched power? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the big difference, Juve is one of the few clubs that actually owns their stadium. Most clubs in Serie A and in all the divisions in Italy rent it from the city. So I think just, you know, own, having all the revenues that way would be, would make a big difference. Now, I was expecting Juve to use their stadium more for other events. I mean, they have a shopping center. They have things like that. Um, but I think Roma could, you know, Palotta, you know, because of his background in the U.S. and seeing how arenas are used in the U.S., you know, could really try to make the revenue more with concerts, events, things of that nature. So I think it would make a big difference for Serie A. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why uh, Serie A is hard to watch on TV is, quite frankly, the stadiums don't look good on TV. There's very few that really look attractive. So I think that would make a big difference as well as well in marketing the league outside of Italy. And I think with the fact that we're having more and more foreign owners in Serie A gives me some hope that they'll try to bring change with that. So you, you imagine it's going to take the fresh ideas, um, the different perspectives of foreign owners. And I, I guess if we were making a list of the reasons... Syria has uh, declined a bit in their in their profile in Europe yeah. and in the world the last couple of years. So stadiums would be high on that list. It would be. I also think you know the big problem is you have a lot of the older generations like being in charge of the decisions. You know you have Milan Galliani who's done a lot of good things, but you know he's pushing Slovenia. You have Lazio's president, President Lotito, who's pretty much running the Italian federation, and he's an older guy. As well, you know, Juve's president, Andrea Agnelli, now he's young, he's under 40, he studied in England. It doesn't surprise me that Juve, you know, uses social media probably better than the other clubs and they have their own stadium. So I think you're going to have to see more of like a younger generation, hopefully some that studied abroad and have seen other leagues as well as foreign owners. I think to be honest, that's really um, once you have that, I think then the stadiums and all that will fall into place. So I'm looking for some fresh leadership. I think the old guys did a great job. You know, Serie A for a long time was the best league in the world. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, now things are changing. It's a global game now, and I think they need to do better marketing. And I think that's what you need younger people for. In about 30 seconds, do you believe that that's a gap that Serie A can make up over time? Uh, as they, you know, again, it's the Bundesliga and the Premier League most uh, most people will hold up as yeah. at least in terms of, of business success and, and, and marketing success. Um, can Serie A catch up to those to those leagues again, or is this just going to be are they going to settle into a uh, you know a top of the second tier kind of position? Um, I'd say in the short term they're going to be in that second tier. I think five years from now, you know, things could change quite a bit. You know, I go back to younger owners, more foreign owners. You know, also the economy in Italy has been really bad, and that can help things. But you know, say there's a turnaround with that. I think what would really help study out ton is Milan being good again. Yeah. I think that, you know, with Juve, they're the iconic club. So 
in the short term, but what really help is getting them going uh, in the right direction. And hopefully this season is going to be so bad that they decide they need, need to make some significant changes. Yeah. So in the short term, not that optimistic, but I think there are, there are a lot of things could happen and said, yeah, I could return to his former glory. David Amoyel, find his work over at Gianluca DiMaggio's English language page. Follow him on Twitter, David Amoyel, A-M-O-Y-A-L. David, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy talking Italian football with you. Right. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me on. And as always, thanks for promoting Italian soccer on your show. Well, there, there you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com will join us. Talk about Fox's preparations for the Women's World Cup. Their, uh, their intent on proving critics wrong about their soccer coverage. It's Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. And that slight ambient noise you hear is the wind gently buffeting, I don't know, the microphone of uh, one Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, who's on the line with us now. Hi, Jonathan. Good morning. I don't do outdoor live hits very often. They tend to be a little dangerous. Yeah, I, I imagine. Just don't walk and talk because I, I feel like people get themselves in trouble, especially in uh, in uh, in urban environments. Uh, the the drivers of the world today just can't account for their behavior. John, uh, we've got uh, we've got a CBA going going with MLS, but I'd like to distract everybody just a bit um, to talk about uh, your interview with Rob Stone and Alexi Lawless in terms of. Fox and the, the the headline the the lead the takeaway is that they're out to prove their critics wrong and I think what's interesting first and foremost is maybe to establish for people uh, who either may not be aware or or I guess even those uh, those people out there who have a negative impression of Fox why that exists because Fox of all the major networks in the U S is the one that tends to go about its business with the most ego and self centeredness. And to make it about themselves instead of about the game. I wonder who that emanates from, John. Well, no, I, I look. <laughs> it's not only soccer. Well, I, 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 it's only soccer at all. Okay, no, no. But I'm saying it, that comes down from the top, and a yes, c- certain right. Australian individual who may or may not. Pop, oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Comes down from Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so, and, and part of this is we, you know, people who've been around, um, who've been paying attention to MLS for more than a couple of years will remember the last time Fox had MLS and, they, and they're back in that game and they're supposed to have a doubleheader this weekend and all of those things. And then they get into this, they get back into the world or they get into the world cup and they've got the rights now, um, through 2026, thanks to FIFA's largesse. And, and, and I think that for a lot of people, it's a matter of maybe, is it money? Is it a matter of com- showing commitment in financial terms? I don't know how to quantify it, honestly, because somebody's going to look at it and say, well, you're not ESPN, you're not NBC, why? How do you, there's no real way to quantify what um, some of the folks at, at NBC and ESPN would call putting the game first. Um, but I think we've seen Fox make some pretty smart hires 
uh, over the last few months. And I highlighted three in particular in, in the story that I wrote. One, obviously, is John Strong, who's very well liked by a lot of people. One is Alexi Lalas, and one is Shaw Brown, who's been the lead producer for Major League Soccer telecast on NBCSN the last few years. Did some work previously with Fox and also with ESPN and is now going back to Fox uh, to, to help run their MLS broadcast. And I think that he's going to help a lot. Those those are strong signs of intent. And again, I think um, that you have individuals people recognize. And yet, for some reason, people still focus on the backdrop. They still focus on the network. And, and look, I think that and Rob Stone addressed this, John, there's going to be a different sort of vibe around what Fox is going to do, at least from a studio perspective, when it comes to the Women's World Cup. Don't quite know what to expect from those MLS broadcasts yet, but this is a this is a looser sort of 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 operation, at least in the ter- in the way that they present their uh, their pundits on television. And 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 let's cut to the point with that. A lot of people don't like Eric Wadalda. Okay, <laughs> if you want to put that out there, that's fine. But I, I you know, I think that that. I didn't say I won them. I just said a lot of people don't want <laughs> no, to. No, I, I, real, I realize that. But that can't be it. That can't be the entire thing. I mean, when all this speaks his mind, people may not like him. Um, but that's the same. That's the truth. That's the same thing about, uh, same for Alexi in a lot of ways. And Alexi will be the first one to tell you he's not universally liked. So why is it that ESPN can have Alexi Lawless and people aren't necessarily throwing stones at their coverage, but Fox can't have Eric, Eric Winalda and, and dodge those stones? Well, I don't think it helped. Fox's cause over the years that they and they still do this. They call a lot of games off monitors when people wish they were in the stadium. Okay. And look, it's one it's one thing to call a game off monitor when the game's being played in Guatemala or Costa Rica or whatever. But you know, they they in years past, I mean going way back, they were not always at the games uh, for MLS teams. They were not always they've not always been at the Concacaf Champions League games that have been played in MLS stadiums. They've not all they in the the Gold Cup. They haven't always been in the stadiums when the games have been played in the United States. That's an example of a financial investment that can be quantified, and I think you know shows people that they're taking a step forward. And I do think I mean, obviously they're going to be at all the stadiums in MLS. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see what they do with the Champions League games that are played in the United States going forward. I think that's going to be another big sign of what they do. And obviously they're throwing the house at the Women's World Cup, uh, which which I think. Whether or not you like the tone, I, I appreciate the fact that they're willing to put the resources in and 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 make a big deal out of that. Put games on in prime time on the network and all that stuff. Now, and again, the, the the words coming out of Rob and Alexi's mouth, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk to them directly in the near future. But uh, they indicated that you know when it comes to this Women's World Cup, there's going to be no, there, there's not going to be any nod to the fact that this is a Women's World Cup. They're not going to wink uh, while they do this. This is going to be straight-up soccer coverage. And that's going to raise some questions for folks because I, I'm i a fan of that. I'm a fan, whether it's soccer or basketball or track or field or whatever it may be, of saying, I don't care who's playing. I treat everybody the same. Which, for a lot of people, myself included, is a version of gender equity that they want to see. Is it going to go over well with a certain segment of the audience that is used to treating women's sports differently from that? I don't know, but we're going to find out. And one of the things that Rob and Alexi said to me repeatedly is that if they feel any need to criticize something that the U.S. national team does, they're not going to hold back. And I appreciate that. I think a lot of the soccer audience does, too. We're going to see how it goes over with everybody else. How much of the reticence for fans to buy into Fox is related to the Gus Johnson experiment? Well, I think that's a part of the greater – I think that's a symptom 
of the greater problem. Um, and, and again, it comes back to them being a place that has been more egocentric uh, over the years than some of the other networks have been. And I, as I said, it extends beyond soccer. It has extended into football. It has extended into baseball over the years, although less so now than it used to. It has extended into hockey whack when they had the National Hockey League and they did the glowing puck and all the stuff like that to turn the purists off. And I think we'd be deceiving ourselves if we didn't ask how Fox News is going to treat the Women's World Cup when the time comes. <laughs> well, I, that's going to be outside of my particular bubble, John. I'm going to ignore that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be part of the wider scope of what Fox is doing with this sport. Um, yeah, but, but we know from, you know, that we know that, that Murdoch has holdings that are not called Fox that do a fine job and are among the, the biggest broadcasters of the game in other parts of the world, specifically in England. Why is it, why is it so, di- why is there such a disconnect? Got me. <laughs> well, that's that's good insight. <laughs> that's good insight, John. Uh, let me come to another issue here that that Rob addresses. Rob Stone addresses, addresses directly um, the Americanness of this broadcast. We watched what ESPN did, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with what ESPN did. In particular, in a way that I, I believe was catering to their to their audience or catering to what they thought people wanted to hear. They certainly brought in world famous ex players who speak English with an accent, absolutely fine to analyze the game, in addition to having Alexi on that uh, on that stage. Fox doesn't seem like they're going to go in that same direction, or at least Rob Stone questions why it's necessary or why it's a problem. Let me, let me flip it around. Why it's a problem to have American voices covering soccer in America. And well, he should, because he's been involved with Major League Soccer since day one. And he's one of the longest tenured American soccer broadcasters in the country. And Fox has a at this point, 20-plus year history probably of developing American soccer ta- broadcasting talent. Guys like Christopher Sullivan, Mark, Sullivan, Mark Rogandino, uh, more recently Justin Kutcher, Mark Followell had a role in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. Needs done some work down in Dallas. You look around uh, what they did going back into the old Fox soccer days. They've done this stuff for a long time, and they're very proud of it. Um, but only in the last couple of years has the tide changed in terms of the perception of whether Americans can quote-unquote talk about soccer intelligently. Now, you and I would argue that we've been able to do it for much longer than the critics give us credit for. Sure. And some of those critics have probably been on your show over the years. <laughs> um, but the when you have guys like John Strong, who've really grown up with it, and they understand it now, the dynamic starts to change. And I, I think that What's always, what's always set the bar for me is I don't care where the people come from. I don't care if it's Andres Cantor or Jorge Perez Navarro trying to speak in English. If they've done their homework and are putting in an honest effort, I respect that. You have English guys who would be condescending. You have American guys who haven't done their homework and don't know how to talk to the audience. Now those lines are starting to blur. We have Americans who have done their homework and get it and know how to talk to the audience. And you have English guys like Ian Dark and Adrian Healy and John Champion who do their homework and get pushed by their producers to do their homework. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you know, people know about Shaw Brown and Pierre Moussa and Sam Flood at NBC. They know about Amy Rosenberg and Chris Alexopoulos at ESPN. Chris probably more than Amy because Chris is a little more of a public figure. Uh, but Amy has been written about many times in the last year and a half or so going back to when ESPN was, was, was doing the World Cup. Now it's on Fox's producers, David Nathanson, Eric Shanks, um, 
David Neal to get that tone right and to get the right people. And not only the, 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 the names we know now, like John Strong and JP Della Camera, but the other names that they're going to hire to fill out the roster, as it were, who we don't know yet. Yeah. You know, uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the MLS rights and, and getting back into that game again, I think I think we all have memories. And, and, and look, I think it's fair to say, John, that while that Fox Soccer product that that Fox put on a couple years back with um, <laughs> when they were out at stadiums, the the halftime show being done in front of a quick goal uh, set, uh, those things leave a bad taste in people's mouths, but at the same time, maybe MLS wasn't ready or MLS was still evolving. Is it, is it fair to say that maybe MLS wasn't in a place where they deserved better coverage than that? Well, that's a great question. I'm probably not the most objective person to answer that question because I would have said back at the time that I think Fox could have done better. But um, what, what people, I think, do need to, to realize who were not following MLS back at the time is that for a long time, that is all we had, you know, was was the Fox Soccer Channel and whatever came along on ESPN. And Fox was the network that really was committed to doing much more soccer than anybody else was. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't have all the money in the world to do it with yet. Only in the last probably year or two or three of Fox's MLS coverage did we really start to see that other networks could step up in a big way and were really beating Fox that badly in terms of what they were doing. And then NBC went and raised the bar even more. Now, I know, I know Fox still runs Fox Soccer Plus, which is uh, an overflow uh, area for some of their coverage, some of the, the the inventory that they have. But my partner on the best soccer show, Derek Dubois, at the, at the demise of, of Fox Soccer Channel, made the point that he thought it was interesting to consider whether or not American soccer has moved beyond that boutique channel site type of niche. Is that what you see, or is this... Is soccer just being pulled along by the the greater uh, sports television wars of ESPN and Fox and well, it's NBC? getting there. Okay. It's definitely getting there. But you look, I mean, part of the reason why, why Fox Soccer lost its nows for existing was being sport came in and took Serie A rights off. That was, yeah, that was certainly, uh, certainly a blow. Uh, speaking of rights and European leagues that don't get a lot of coverage here, a Bundesliga rights coming up in August for Fox. Um, any indication from what you what you got from Rob and Alexi how they're going to handle those rights? Is it going to be treated as a, a a part of their greater coverage, just like the Champions League and the FA Cup? It's funny. I got asked by, asked by some folks about that last night who are big German soccer fans, and my answer is I don't know. I didn't ask them. <laughs> um, it wouldn't surprise me, and I wouldn't blame them if they aren't quite there yet. Okay. Because they've got so much to do between now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even just getting into, you know, get, get through the Women's World Cup and then they can say, okay, what are we going to do with, with what is, for the lar- most part, a prepackaged product with the Bundesliga and a very well prepackaged product by their in house production team? They do an exceptional job. Do you see this Women's World Cup? Um ultimately determining which direction they go in. I mean, you can make all the plans they want. I know Stone and Lawless have both said, we're going to go full on here where this isn't, this isn't a, a warm up exercise for 26 or for 2018. You can say all of that, but it, it is their first foray uh, into the World Cup area. 
will it will the success or failure of this tournament in terms of ratings have anything to to say about 2018, 2022, 2026? I don't think you can I don't know how well you can judge it. Because in one way you've got audiences that don't entirely overlap. They obviously they overlap more than they used to in terms of men's soccer and women's soccer. But at the same time, you've got one big advantage for this Women's World Cup that you're not going to have in Russia and you're certainly not going to have in Qatar, which is primetime games in the United States. Right. Um, and, and look, if we're honest, Fox isn't the only beneficiary of that. Bell Media, which is the host broadcaster up in Canada, they're perfectly happy to have primetime games on in Toronto and Montreal too. Mm-hmm. So they're not complaining. Uh, Fox is not complaining. We've already seen that Fox is going to have this going to put their studio set outdoors in a really spectacular location right in the heart of downtown Vancouver. Um, but you're not going to have that ratings advantage in, in, in 2018 in Russia. You're not in 2022. You might in 2026. We can hope so. But uh, no, look, there's a lot of people at Fox who care about soccer. Mm-hmm. And whether or not with you agree with, with the way that they care about it, I think that they're not going to stop caring about it just based on this tournament. But then again, I also think that the ratings for this tournament are going to be really strong. Uh, last thing before I let you go, John, just an odd in, odds and ends uh, element of the MLS coverage. Uh, you've reported that they're going to have a two-and-a-half-hour window for those MLS games. That obviously indicates a little bit of extra time to, to lead up, uh, build up to the games. How is this going to compare, or at least uh, how are they projecting that it might compare to the way NBC did their coverage or, or ESPN does theirs? Well, ESPN's windows, for the most part, are two hours. They're going to have two and a half hours uh, on the opening weekend if those games get played, which mm-hmm. is still a big if. Um, and uh, I think what we're going to see from Fox is a couple minutes earlier kickoff, maybe a 15 minutes past the hour instead of 20 or 25 at NBC used to do, so that the balance between pregame and postgame is a little more even. Um and I, I don't know yet how many people are going to be on site for every game, whether it's going to be the entire studio crew or not. I think some of that those elements are still be, to be determined, and they might do it for some big games and not for some others. Any chance that they come up with a, a separate song for soccer? Because, I, I mean, I know they use that thing for everything, but it just sounds NFL to me, John. I, I, that I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just a pet peeve of mine. John, Jonathan Danawald from Philly.com. I think he's getting cold. I think we should let you go, John. Go inside, get warm. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have a season and we'll be able to talk to you in the near future about MLS. Let me, let me just say this real quick before, before I hang up. Everybody who says the pressure, the pressure is on the players. Uh, I'd love to get a penny for the thoughts of Phil Rollins right now down in Orlando having sold out the Citrus Bowl and now being worried that he might blow a shot at it. Uh, he, he is one of uh, he's one of 21 guys, and his pull, I, I mean, I imagine it's pretty strong considering he's the guy launching a new team. But uh, he's, not the, he's not the guy that wrote those checks back in 2001, 2002. Well, see what happens. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I don't even know whether to be optimistic at this point. No, I don't think anybody does. Let's uh, let's on that no- on that lovely note. Let's uh, take a break. When we <laughs> come back, we'll open up the phone lines. Get your thoughts on whether or not we'll have a season. Anything else you might have on your mind? Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. Soccer morning. 
Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. It be feeling like the life that I'm living, man, I don't control. Every day I'm in a fight for my soul. Could it be that my medicine's the evidence for pigs to stop and frisk me when they rolling around on patrol? And ask why you're here. I just tell them because it is what it is. I live here and that's what it is. Each time you got a dime, I say it, man. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. This music you hear, welcome back to Soccer Morning, by the way, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. The music you hear is Stellar Light by Lupe Fiasco, the official music coordinator of U.S. Soccer. This is an anthem, apparently, for US, the U.S. Men's National Team. Anybody here, U.S.? I want to see how long I can play this before Trevor turns it off. Well, you can't actually turn it off. He can, he can turn me off. I'm going to fade it out. I'm going to fade it out. Stellar Light by Lube Fiasco. The full version. Apparently, he was doing snippets. He had snippets done last year that came out during the World Cup, obviously. Uh, but, <laughs> but this is the full version, which has just dropped. Uh, Stellar Light, Lupe Fiasco. 347-756-6276 is your phone number. Jump on in. Let's, let's talk this out. Let's continue. Again, the deadline rapidly approaching your chance to see MLS start on time. Those people in Orlando have bought tickets. I, I got people all over Twitter asking me, is, uh, our teams going to re- reimburse fans for travel costs if there's no game? No, of course they're not. This could be a disaster. Washington, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, what's up, Jason? Listen, I, I wanted to uh, touch upon uh, something you were talking about earlier, the commentators and, uh, you know, uh, the, the the different schools of thoughts and uh, why Western commentators are good and Western commentators aren't. And I've always had this belief, um, if you look at the uh, British commentators and the Spanish language commentators, because they've done it for so long, because they've broadcast football for so long, their roots come from radio, not from television. And that's why they're so descriptive and that's why they word paint so well, because their listeners, they had to paint a picture for their listeners. And I think that that's what makes them better than, you know, American commentators who do it who who sold roots of football done on television because television you see what's going on Maybe. and sometimes when American commentators uh, comment it, it tends to be dry dry air anyway than than British and well and come on the, the, the Brits are the driest people on the planet I I, I think well, I think that there look I think there's something to be said for that but a guy like J P Della Camera is is well versed in both television and radio and does a fantastic job of description and people still underrate his abilities. I that's think- true. That's true. And, and I mean, but if you look at, I remember right before the World Cup, they had this, this, this spoof on ESPN with Ian Dark commenting a date. If you haven't caught it, you can catch it on YouTube. And it's so funny because the way he describes it, he makes it exciting. And I think there's something to be said about that. I, there, look, there's something, there's, there, there's maybe some element of that in it, Washington, but I, I do, I, I think that what Jonathan said about people growing up with the game is probably even more important. People who grow up watching soccer from the, from their very earliest ages, uh, you know, being, being well versed in, in all of the elements and the things that can happen. It, the more you watch, the more you've seen, the more you'll be able to describe it properly when it happens in front of you. And I think that's the and case. I think that's the case also- for John Strong. I think that's an element of John Strong's game. 
And then also another thing I want to point out, I think it is going to change for American audiences because more and more we're having retired uh, players come in, like Taylor Twim and Alexi Lalas, who've actually been there, know what it feels yeah. like and know how to express that emotion. So well, I love watching uh, games when Ian Dark and Taylor Twelman speak together because uh, he comments well, and then Taylor Twelman does a color commentary, and I, I love the description that they have together. They're, they're a good team, and I wish there were more teams like them. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks, uh, Washington. Take care. There, there's, a, there's actually a note in the interview with Stone and Lawless over at Philly.com that Jonathan Tannenwald did where Rob Stone is complaining about the fact that Taylor Twelman didn't get to do the the World Cup final and his guess is that that's because Taylor's American. Um, that may, There may be something to that. I actually do enjoy Dark and Twelman. Ian Dark's a fantastic broadcaster. My issue has never been that English broadcasters aren't very good at their jobs. It's my 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 issue has always been that Americans defer to an accent over the quality of the broadcaster if he happens to be American. That, that's the case for me. There's not a lot of them, but there are enough of them that you should give all due respect to John Strong, J.P. Della Camera, and the like. Phil Shane, 702, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, man. Enjoy the show. Um, just wanted to comment on the ongoing CBA. Okay, what's up? Well, I think whoever is in charge of the MLS Players Union is, you know, who's in charge of negotiating this is, is whoever's leading this is just not that they're just not that good at their job in the story. This is a terrible season to be trying to pull for free agency. Why is that? This is the 20th anniversary season of the league. That, that, um, that, 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 to me, that, they're, they're, to they're me. not going to get it. It's clear. I mean, I'm on the side of the players. I want free agency, but it's not going to happen this year. Okay, and but this you is could, a bad you, season. You could, to, you could certainly, ahead. you could certainly make the argument that it, it may never happen if the owners remained in, entrenched. That the owners who have all of the money and control the clubs are adamant about it not happening. You could argue it might never happen. I would, I would, I would, it, I, would say, I, I would actually say that the tw- I would say the twentieth season. And and the element of the twentieth season actually is a reason for the players to make the go go at it now. Plus, look, you can't control when the previous CBA expires, except when you sign it. So they signed a, a, a four year CBA in, in two thousand ten. It took them through the two thousand fourteen season. This is when it's up. You don't you don't push for free agency in the middle of a CBA because you don't have the grounds to do so. Sure, absolutely. However, in this case, with this being a unique year, the players' union should sign an extension for one season. They should say, well, we'll go under the current CBA for this season, and after that, they should be willing to strike because this is going to be one of the biggest seasons. I mean, Orlando has 60,000-plus for their opener. That's exactly the point. While it may hurt the players in addition to the owners, the point is that you go at the owners when they have all of these positive things on the table. When you've got two new teams at $185 million of franchise expansion fees coming into the league, when you've got the 60,000 tickets sold in Orlando, when you've got excitement in San Jose over a new stadium, when you've got Kubo Torres coming into this league, when you've got Lampard and Gerard coming into this league, those things all line up for the players to make the... That's when they have leverage because the owners don't want to miss out on games. They don't want their season to be delayed. They want to go full steam ahead into one of the most hyped season and seasons in MLS history that 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 all okay. leads to so me then 20 years later 20 years after 1996 after I went to my first season full of Dallas burn games 
20 years later, we can't produce players, uh, American players, for uh, that are that are better than aging your aging European. Uh, look, look, you know, watch it. I'm sorry, they're done. That's that's a. I'm tired of seeing 35 year old guys come in and get a contract for one for one season that is worth. Three team salary cap. Okay, you, you, that's a joke. To, that's bushly. You're crossing that's bush the you're crossing the streams here. I appreciate the call, man. You're crossing the streams here. You're talking about a philosophy that the league has taken in how it wants to build. Uh, you know that that that's neither here nor there when it comes to the rank and file pushing for free agency. In my mind, all it does actually is give the players more reason to push free for free agency. If you're going to be paying guys like Steven Gerrard millions of dollars to come at 35 years old, and now there's rumors out there that Rafael Vandervaart is being offered a contract by Sporting Kansas City. I don't know how much I how much stock I put into that rumor, but something like five million dollars to come play. In MLS for Rafael Vandervaart? Are you serious? And it, and, and again, that's double the current, uh, uh, the, the current salary outlay of Sporting Kansas City. How insulting is that to guys who are making $100,000 a year when they can't choose where they want to go when their contract is up? Vince, you're on the line. Oh, hey, Jason. How's it going? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm ramped up now. <laughs> I'm, I'm fired yeah. up. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with my own strike issues right now because my university, for the third time in 15 years, has gone on strike. <laughs> well, you weren't there the first two times, I hope. No, I wasn't. Okay, but you're dealing with that now. What else? So, I mean, when you look at this situation, you have any issue with the last caller, who I, whose name I didn't get, who, who seems to think that because everything is going well for MLS, the players should get out of the way? How does that make any I, sense? I disagree vehemently. Uh, I think that's the word. Um you, this is the perfect situation for the players to strike because they know that this season is such a big deal and the owners want everything to go off with a hitch. So, you know, they, they have to cave in, right? That's, that's kind of the mentality, and I agree 100% with it. My issue right now, though, is more with the MLS teams and, I guess, MLS, you know, MLS in general and how they're promoting this season. Like you, I blame Orlando City for how they're promoting this, this pack-the-bowl thing. Because they're essentially putting all their eggs in one basket, telling people, "Oh my God, we're taking on New York City. We're we're you know sell out sixty thousand, but there's no guarantee this well, game is going to happen." Okay, but you can't, Vince. You can't sell get sell that game with this with a caveat. You can't do it. Well, I, I, just, I mean, it's I just I don't like the way they're doing it, and and this goes for all the MLS teams. Like Toronto right now is going, you know, like oh, only seven days till the season starts. And uh, I don't remember who, but someone just put like, "Oh, you mean like when when you're going to be live tweeting the picket lines?" It's like. They're acting like, you know, I don't know if you've seen that episode of The Simpsons when Homer's just like to Marge. He's like, oh, look at me. I'm in the gumdrop's house on Lollipop Lane. That's how it feels like no, the MLS no, teams are no, acting. No. Like everything is fine. Don't worry. And they're promoting the season as if it's a guarantee that it's going to happen. But it's not. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not with you on this, Vince. I, I, can't, I can't imagine how MLS clubs are supposed to operate ahead of what is supposed to be the first weekend of the season without assum- assuming that it's going to happen. You can't. You can't undercut yourself, undercut potential si- ticket sales, because if it does come off and you've only got, and, and, and Orlando only has 20,000 in the stadium, they're going to be kicking themselves for not selling harder. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think that, that, that buyer, this is caveat emptor here, that buyers need to be aware of the possibility that the league won't be starting on time. But I don't think the, the team should be operating as if, as if there, there may be a problem and hey, you know, uh, buy our tickets, but just know, that everything could go sour, uh, you know, before the season begins. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. 
Well, okay. We'll agree to disagree. My, my, my point is just like I, I think there should be some sort of contingency plan that these teams have in the event that the season doesn't start because it just feels like there's a lot of fans that are going to be let down on opening day. That's, okay, that's I, 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 and that would be a disaster. But again, I think that's that's sort of, and I don't like the collateral damage of it all, Vince, but I think that's sort of what the players have to be pushing for. They have to push the the owners up against the wall as as much as they can. If they're going to even come close to getting what they want, and again, I'm not under any uh, illusions that they're going to get free agency, but if they're going to push the owners, they're going to make good on their, th- I mean, they have to make good on their threats in order to show that they're serious. And I, and I, I don't, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know why the owners or the MLS teams operating individually should be acting as though things aren't going to happen. I mean, I, again, I don't know what you're, what you're saying because it, the, if if there is a last minute deal and the and the games go on, all you've done is limited the the uh, limited the exposure, limited the ticket sales, limited the hype of the opening weekend. Why would you do that? You know, like f- fair enough. Just you know, there, it's it's we don't know what's going to happen, and a deal could be done. You know, by tomorrow, for all we know, or this thing drags out. We're not going to know until you know they tell us straight up. Yeah, and so I guess you know I, I can see where you're coming from, where the teams have to promote themselves as if everything's going to be done on time. My, my point is just that, you know, there's so many mixed signals. You know, the, I remember, you know, um, uh, Peter Vermees saying that he wasn't going to sign anybody, uh, any more players until the CBA was done. And then he signed, you know, uh, Marcel de Jong. Um, and then so that gave, uh, like, you know, some people were saying, oh, maybe there's good news with the CBA. Orlando not sending representatives uh, yesterday. Because, you know, uh, Phil Rollins, I think, said he believes that the CBA is going to be done. And then, you know, Dwayne Rollins this morning saying he got information saying that players are going to strike. And then so, you know, it's, it's all over the place. And so, you know, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a crapshoot, really. We don't know what's going to happen. Again, Either everybody's going to be really happy or everybody's going to be really sad. If you want to bitch about messaging, I'm with you 100%. I don't think the players have done a very good job of sending out their message. I don't think the owners have done any job of sending out their message. And I, maybe they don't want to. Maybe they want to live in a cocoon of silence because it's better off that they don't say anything that could damage their, uh, their stance at all, which is what essentially what Deloitte Hansen did when he said, Oh, free agency is a waste of, t- uh, talking free agency is a waste of time. All that does is make them look like the big fat cats sitting there on top of their piles of money telling that the, telling the players, No, you can't have freedom to move where you want to go because we say so. That that's essentially what we're getting out of the owners, and, and and again, the players for their part, I don't think have pushed the populist angle nearly enough. But here we are, uh, two days before the this needs to be done. Actually, less than that, le- less than forty eight hours from when this needs to be done, so players can make arrangements to get on an airplane and go fly where they need to go to play games this weekend. And and all we've got so far is Bobby Boswell with some language that makes me feel like the players are backing down. While at the same time, and again, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to confirm anything here, and hopefully this news comes out via the source I got it from later on, but the the notion that the players could be backed by somebody else when it comes to a strike fund. I don't know what either one of those things means, Vince. Yeah, I mean, the way everything sounds like, I feel that perhaps everything, when it comes to you know the increased cap, um, you know, uh, minimum wage, whatever. I think those things have been hammered out already, and what's holding everything up is this free agency uh, deal. And that's why, you know, 
because we haven't really heard much about you know increased cap or whatever. We assume those are givens, right? That they would be increased. Uh, I've heard. I've heard like maybe the players just went along with whatever the owners gave them, but then the free agency is is their hill to die on. I, I've I've heard a couple of things that say that the owners are more than willing to bump up minimum, minimum salaries and make a significant increase to the cap. But uh, but again, that's not the issue that, uh, as you said, that that's not the issue the players are going. Uh, are going at here. The, the issue the players are going at is free agency. And, and as far as we can tell, the owners are just locked into the notion that free agency cracks open single entity and that's not a road they want to go down. And, and, and some people are sharing a, a piece I wrote at U.S. Soccer Players. And, and as I wrap up this show here, thanks for the call, Vince. As I wrap up this show here, I'll point you in the direction of that item at, at U.S. Soccer Players I wrote a couple weeks ago, in which I make the argument that if you're going to say we want to be a top league by 2022, stop with the nonsense of not spending the money or putting, giving the freedom, uh, the players the freedom to choose where they want to go because you're not acting like a top league. The rest of the world does it this way and maybe you could, Maybe you could make the argument that European soccer is going to slowly collapse on itself because of all of the money that's being spent over there. But that is a terrible, terrible way to go to get getting to being one of the top leagues in the world. You, you can't you can't sit around and wait for everybody to come back to you. And MLS has done this, and now the owners are facing a, a players' union who seems unified, who's making a lot of noise about being unified. If they are, we'll see a strike. I don't want a strike. I don't want the player. I don't want. I don't want to strike. I want this to go. I, I want this to go well. I want everybody to agree on something. It's it's frustrating. It's frustrating. And again, the deadline looms. Thank you for listening to Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. Uh, go get to our Soccer Morning mug at backheel.com slash store. Go to three uh, nilfc.com to buy your official Soccer Morning T-shirt. It's a it's a periwinkle blue. So we decided, right? Periwinkle blue. That's probably not. Um, also, uh, go to uh, iTunes, give us a rating and a review. It helps us out a lot. And uh, once again, World Soccer Talks, your home for some excellent soccer coverage in addition to Soccer Morning. We appreciate the partnership over there with the with so- with World Soccer Talk. All right, I'm I'm I'm. Th- you guys fired me up at the end of the show. I didn't expect to do that. Well, this is going to be a, a pretty calm discussion. We're going to talk Syria. We're going to talk about Fox broadcasting soccer, and then we would just I don't know. Kumbaya and, and leave, and it didn't happen. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow on a Wednesday. Thanks a lot. Bye.